Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of our Disruptors podcast. I'm Jennifer Bartashis, Senior Analyst covering the protein and packaged food industries um, with Bloomberg Intelligence. And we are here today talking to Uma Valetti, who's the CEO and co-founder of Upside Foods. Uh, Uma, thank you so much for joining us today. Jennifer, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, wonderful. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Um, for, for listeners who aren't familiar with your company, can you talk to us a little bit about what your mission is and how you play a disruptive role in the evolution of the food supply chain? Certainly, Upside Foods is a company that is growing meat from real animal cells. And the founding purpose of the company was to make our favorite food a force for good. And the context behind that is meat is the most beloved food that we've had across all cultures, across you know, generations and in the world. And the demand for meat is only continuing to increase despite how hard it is to bring it to the table and the downsides associated with meat production. For instance, we raise 70 billion animals every year to feed about 8 billion people. And the demand for meat is doubling in the next 30 years. And that means we'll have to raise about 150 billion animals to feed about 10 billion people. And what that means is, if we step back, today we use about a third of all the fresh water, a third of arable land, and produce about 15% of the greenhouse gas emissions in the world with the 70 billion animals we raise and the food we grow to feed them. Now, if that doubles, simple math says we'll have to use two-thirds of all the fresh water in the world, two-thirds of the land available to grow crops in the world, to feed animals, not even thinking about the doubling of the greenhouse gas emissions. So I think there's an untenable point here. If you want to continue our love for eating real meat from animals and animal cells, we think there is an incredible opportunity to innovate, as we've always done in the history of humanity. We've always figured out how to feed ourselves with our favorite foods. But this time, I think we're going to be doing it with a very clear focus on me also not having downsides to the planet and people and also to improve the health of the foods that we're eating. And that's where the value proposition for Upside Foods comes in. And this is an idea we started about seven or eight years ago. And now it's mm -hmm. become, I'd say, it's become a transformative movement in the world. I would agree with you. I think that there, I think everyone is starting to realize that a, a major transformation in the food supply chain is is going to be necessary, and so it's going to take a lot of a lot of brilliant minds to figure out how we can navigate that transformation successfully and still give people what it is they actually want. But I understand that in your previous life you were a cardiologist, and that um, that that played sort of a role in how you originated your idea to found the company. Okay. So can you talk us about your tell us about your journey to founding Upside Foods? It's the most circuitous journey you would think of. Um, so I grew up in India. Uh, my dad's a veterinarian, so I grew up around animals. I grew up eating meat, loving meat, and went to medical school in India. And right after medical school, I came to the United States to train in cardiology at the Mayo Clinic. And I grew up in a meat-eating family, like I said. The love for meat is very clear. But very early in my life, when I was a 12-year-old, I went to a friend's birthday party. And in the front of the house, we were celebrating the birthday with you know, food and music and drinks and dancing. And I just happened to walk to the back of the house. And in the back of the house was where they were slaughtering the animals to feed the people in the front. And to me, that was the first time I met the paradox of meat. And, and the duality of incredible suffering in the back and incredible joy in the front, birthday and death day duality just stuck with me for many, many years after that. And I kept eating meat, but I just could not shake it. And um, I stopped eating meat in medical school when I was uh, 17. And later on in my work in cardiology at the Mayo Clinic, we started working on stem cells. And 
injecting them into patients' hearts when they had a heart attack or a cardiac arrest to regrow the heart muscle. And that sparked an idea in my head where we're like, what if we can grow meat from real animal cells? Then we can grow all of the meat we want in the world without the downsides for the animal welfare environment. And as a physician, I got really excited about the opportunities of making meat better. That if we continue along this path, can we select better and better animal cells? And to see if we can affect actually human health, decreases the chance of you know, chronic diseases, hypertension, diabetes, decreases the chance of heart disease, decreases the chance of possible associations with cancer. And it just kind of kept coming back to me every single morning. And uh, after a while, I think, you know, kept talking about it with all my friends, colleagues, my family, and decided to start a basic science lab at the University of Minnesota. And one thing led to another, and I decided that this is not a field that should live in academia. For the real and true change, it should come into the real world, test it against the real world, and see if people care about it, and investors care about it, and if there is meaningful opportunity here. So, yeah, that's the story of Upside Foods. And I think if I have to sum it up in a single sentence, we all love the product. It is incredibly delicious. But I'm yet to meet a person who said they love the process of how meat gets to the table. And therein lies the opportunity and the duality of, can we preserve our love to eat meat at the same time as preserving the life and the planet and the environment? And I felt like it was impossible to ignore. I could have continued to practice cardiology for the next 25, 30 years, saved another 2,000 lives or so. But I thought looking back at my life, you know, 20, 30 years from now, I would think, oh my gosh, what a chance we didn't pursue this. And we had an opportunity to grow meat from real animal cells, offer future generations an opportunity to continue to enjoy with the product we love. But we don't have to ignore the downsides. We can actually have it with the upside of, of meat production. And that led me to quitting cardiology and starting this company. Wow. And, you know, I think it's I think it's such a fascinating area because we we have sort of a, a step in the direction when you think about plant based foods. Right. And the, the all the progress that's been made there to to be, you know, similar to meat products. But the idea of actually being able to still keep meat as meat, um, but deliver it in a completely different way is I think there's something that's really a, a just such an intriguing way to think about the future. Um, but the idea of this like cultivated meat is still really new for a lot of consumers. A lot of people haven't heard about it or they've heard it um, you, with terms like lab grown meat or um, fake, you know, lab meat or things like that. Um, can you just explain kind of in layman's terms for us, the production process, how you actually create your product? Absolutely. And I will explain it to you as I would explain it to a kindergartner, right? For instance, Perfect. because we love eating meat and meat comes from animal cells. Therefore, we start off by taking cells from eggs or animals and we identify the cells that can continue to grow outside the animal and feed it the same type of nutrients that an animal would eat, which is similar to amino acids and sugars and fats and vitamins and minerals. And we grow it in a very clean environment, very similar to when you go and walk outside and walk. Let's say there's a craft brewery in your neighborhood and you see this clean environment with steel tanks in there versus, you know, a slaughterhouse. And we then let the cells grow in the clean environments for anywhere between two to four weeks. At the end of that, the cells become meat because they connect with each other or they develop all the features and flavors of meat in the cells. We harvest the meat and we make it into delicious products like sausages or patties or nuggets or chicken breasts or steaks. And that whole process takes about two to four weeks. 
And keep in mind, the entire process happens under one roof. So from the first cells that we take from an animal or an egg to the clean nutrients we feed it and the clean environment in which they grow, and we harvest them at the end of two to four weeks, we're seeing all of it. It's very traceable. It's very transparent. And at the end of the day, when we scale it to very large production capacities, there are incredible upsides to it for efficiency, for energy use, for nutrient use, for decreasing water pollution, air pollution. So that's how I would explain this field. Um, it's new, and it's important to acknowledge that not everybody knows about it. And that is one reason why we we refused to be in the stealth mode. Although we are a company that was founded in Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. from the first day, we started talking about our work very openly. We've been showing our products to people for tasting. and I've seen that you even offer tours of the facility uh, uh, periodically. 100%. I think people have to recognize that this is an idea that is transformative. It is not going to change the world overnight, but it offers us a ramp to continuously improve and transform how meat comes to the table and gives us an opportunity to make it very, you know, clean, very transparent. And it's something that kids, as they grow up, can understand and not have to close their eyes like I had to for many years when I was eating meat. So I think it fundamentally goes to a principle of we love the product, we don't love the process. Therefore, we can demystify it by saying, here's how we do it. And the consumer can be the judge of the taste and the texture and the flavors. And we feel like that opportunity is incredible. I wouldn't call it disruptive because it's much more than disruptive. It's transformative. It offers us and humanity an opportunity we've never had before. Right? We always thought meat came from killing an animal. But we're yep. trying to redefine that and saying meat is going to come from animal cells. Guess what? Killing is not required. Exactly. And so, you know, I think I think a, uh, there's a growing appreciation for how much technology and science is involved in this in order to be able to even get to the point where upside is today. But in the in the years since you founded the company, how has the science evolved? Uh, you know, I mean, years ago we saw headlines of like the four hundred thousand dollar hamburger <laughs> that was produced, you know, uh, in a in a lab. But there've been there've been big leaps forward in terms of um, a lot of the technology that you use. Can you just talk to us a little bit about that and? What's what's so exciting about that environment today? Yeah, you're bringing back the memories of days maybe a decade ago when people were in small labs and growing sm- small amounts of cells to just show that, yeah, we can grow meat from animal cells. That's when it was appropriate to call it some an idea that was growing in a lab. It's now yeah. misleading to actually call it lab-grown meat because you're growing it in very large, clean food facilities. And people are still using the old headline of lab-grown meat because it kind of gets eyeballs, I guess, but it's misleading. So what we're telling people is, look, this is meat that is cultivated. Just like growing an animal in a confined animal feed operation, we are actually growing animal cells in clean production facilities and cultivating them to grow become, to, to become meat. And that's why it's called cultivated meat. And the science has been evolving in leaps and bounds because people thought it was always possible to do this. For more than, I'd say, almost 90 years, you know, Winston Churchill mm-hmm. in 1932 said, we can just grow the parts of the chicken that we need and not grow the rest of the animal. Because the science has moved at a rapid pace with respect to human disease treatment, cell manufacturing for treating varino, diseases like leukemia, that's all made from cells. We've had a number of companies that have been formed around the idea of getting products from cells. For instance, in cheese making, rennet, 99% of rennet in cheese that we eat is made from a process called fermentation that has come from science. As people started seeing more and more science influencing the food we eat in a cleaner way, I think they're adapting. Now, with respect to cultivated meat, if I come back to your question, for cultivated meat, it's super exciting that in the last 
seven years since we founded the company, the science has evolved by leaps and bounds. I would say we crossed the first chapter. Uh, we closed the first chapter, which is to show that the science works. We can make incredibly delicious meat with the taste and the textures you expect from a beef or a duck or a chicken or seafood. That's done. We can do it. We can do it really, really, really well. The science has also progressed in a way that we can now start lowering cost of production and starting to transfer this into industrial scale processes that can go into very large scale production facilities, which is important to start having the impact on the world given how big this market is. It's a $2 trillion market with 750 billion pounds of meat made every year right now. And I think the phase that we are in the second chapter of cultivated meat is starting to show we can lower costs to get to mm -hmm. a price that most consumers can say, yeah, I could buy that. And the second thing is to make it in much larger industrial scale facilities. And that's where the science is going now. And we're leading that pack in the second chapter. Excellent. Um, and so, you know, Upside has been through a long process to, up to educate um, and teach the FDA and the USDA um, about this uh, cultivated products as novel foods, right? Um, and to get approval because you do require approval from both the FDA and the USDA to bring products to a commercial market. Can you just talk a little bit about that uh, experience? And do you think that the overall industry will benefit from the, the leadership that Upside has shown in, in getting through that process, at least the, the initial FDA side of it, and what that means and for the, the broader industry? Will it be easier for other companies to, to jump on this trend? Great question. I mean, our founding purpose is to make the production of meat our favorite food a force for good. And we know that we can't be the only people doing that in this world. So our idea is we want to pioneer and lead the area and bring down the hurdles that people think are insurmountable or unachievable. And while doing so, build an ecosystem that gives a lot of people across the world a chance to be a part of this industry. And that could be people that are making meat, could be other cultivated meat companies, people that are supplying the food and the ingredients for feeding these animal cells, people that are manufacturing the cultivators in which the meat is made. An entire group of meat industry right now can adapt this to the distribution they have, the products they have, the communities they are reaching. So absolutely, our idea is to open a window or a door so that a lot of people can come into it. And it offers a lot of inspiration for students who are going and training. Because if you look at the United States, the average age of a farmer is about 60 years now. And if you talk to their kids or grandkids, very few are wanting to go into conventional farming or conventional animal feed operations. But right. nearly every child or grandkid there is super excited about being a part of an industry that offers the upsides plus high-wage jobs and also continues to evolve with science and technology to make it better and better for us. So a simple example for you is since we founded the industry in late 2015 to now, there are, there are about 150 companies across the world in every major meat-producing and meat-consuming countries that are pursuing cultivated meat. All the major food and ag universities in the world have undergrad and PhD programs specifically in cultivated meat. And we have regulators Amazing. across the world looking to approve these products in this. And we have investors from all groups, from financial investors to impact investors to industry incumbents, like the top 10 meat producers in the world are invested in cultivated meat. Yep. And a movement like this has never happened in the history of food in such a short period. So we know that we're touching on an enormous opportunity. The market size is nearly unlimited. And we've already shown that it's possible scientifically. People love it. Regulators are approving the product. 
And the next stage is to show that we can continue to scale it. And there's hurdles ahead, but I think it's inevitable. And if we as humanity want to keep eating real meat from animal cells, there is literally nothing else on the horizon that can offer that because this is the entire animal cell that we're making as opposed to a single protein that will taste like a flavor that you can add to, let's say, maybe a plant-based uh, base, right? And right. that's the magic of cultivated meat and the opportunity ahead. And I think I think the interesting thing is that when you look at that over that opportunity, there's room for all types, right? I mean, if you think you've got and when you've got Wagyu beef or something that you know, or Kobe beef, you know, things that that can you know are considered a premium. Yes. You know, and then you've got kind of your 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 you've got organic that's available in, in on mass, and you've got kind of non-organic conventional on mass. To me, this is, you know, cultivated meat is just another option in that realm of possibilities um, for consumers and that can over time, you know, start to accumulate, you know, more and more people using it as a practical part of their lives. Um, so it, it seems like it's not a, a displacement so much as an alternative that can just be available to everyone and, and be a choice that people can make. Yeah, we believe cultivated meat offers a powerful choice that was never offered to, to humans before, which is yeah. we can actually finally say after 10,000 years of eating meat by raising and killing an animal that we can actually eat meat that is made directly from animal cells. So that is the one distinct differentiator that cultivated meat is full animal-based meat cell that's coming to the table for the first time. And the second thing is it offers an enormous palette of opportunity and acts as an and solution, not a displacement for everything because we still need plant-based alternatives for high-quality protein. And for a while ahead, we'll still need conventional animal production to feed the demand for meat. Like, but like I said, the delta between how much we eat now and how much we're going to eat in 30 years from now is doubling. And I think that's where cultivated meat can play a huge role, saying that let's not raise another 70 billion animals. Maybe we can fill that gap with a portion of it coming from cultivated meat. Some will come from plant-based and some from improved efficiency from conventional meat itself. It's a firm right. and solution. But in 50 years from now, I think the majority of meat will be made by cultivated meat techniques because when you offer a consumer the powerful choice, of would you want to eat meat from an animal that is raised and slaughtered with a lot of downsides to the environment and health and animal welfare? Or would you want to eat that product made from animal cells without those downsides? I think the choice will be clear, but we're not at that point now. And that's right. decades away. And that's the reason why people don't need to worry about this as a disruptive technology. Rather, it's a more transformative technology. So they have a chance to adapt to it. That's a that's a wonderful point. Um, and and I was kind of leading towards the the conventional meat industry has been very defensive about alternative products, um, whether it's plant based, whether it's cultivated, um, and that's been raising questions about labeling, production processes, you know, how it how you know if it's overly processed, if it's real. So one of the challenges is really about educating consumers and helping people understand. You, about the sustainability environmental impacts that you've been talking about, um, how does Upside get the word out to consumers? You know, how do you wage that battle with with the, a highly entrenched, big, you know, industry that there's there's room for choice and that you know what the what the benefits are potentially you know for for cultivated meats. It's a, it's a fantastic question, and from the first moment of establishing Upside Foods. We adopted our first value as a big tent company, which means 
nearly everybody can get behind the work we're doing. And we offer the options for meat eaters to be a part of the journey, for vegetarians, vegans, flexitarians, because there is a benefit for cultivated meat for everyone. So for a traditional meat producer or a distributor, they know the demand for meat is doubling and they have an option to invest for the future, which could be in cultivated meat and they can be a part of it by supplying the right to animal cells, the animal feed, building the production facilities. Maybe in the future, instead of having a 10,000 head of cattle, they will have a simple neighborhood cultivated meat production factory or cultivator, mm-hmm. uh, uh, cultivated meat production unit in a neighborhood and they can have both. And to be fair, a significant portion of the conventional meat industry has been very supportive of the work we're doing. For instance, we have a number of uh, investors who joined this in, in industry to be a mm-hmm. part of it, to support it, recognizing the transformation it'll offer. We have the yeah. largest trade associations in the world that represent traditional meat and poultry that have written letters along with us to the White House saying that we should coexist along with them, which would have been unthinkable even 10 years ago. But we also acknowledge that there's a number of people who would put up a really good fight. And what we're looking to do is to talk to them, educate them, and have them come and visit us. And I think at the bottom line, once regulatory approvals come through and a consumer is experiencing these products, there's a few magical moments we're asking, asking for people to experience. Number one is tasting. Yeah. You'll have to taste the product to understand that this is meat. This is real meat. This is not a meat alternative. The second one is come and tour a cultivated meat production facility. We open one in, in, in California and we offer tours to kindergartners, elementary school, middle school, you know, colleges, kids. And the, the facility is built in the neighborhood next to a coffee shop, a dog park, apartments and shopping complexes. And when you walk in, you walk into a big kitchen and you then walk along a racetrack with windows all around. It's like you're looking inside wow. the production facility. <laughs> That tour is magical. The third thing is meet the team that's doing the work. You'll understand these are people like you and me and we're absolutely passionate about improving our food system but keeping our choices of eating meat on the table. And the last thing we say is understand the technology. These are the four things, a magical tasting, a magical tour, understanding the team and the technology behind are the four T's that we talk about. And we're going to keep doing this education repeatedly over and over and bring people under the big tent to show that we can be an and solution. We're not trying to disrupt or displace. We're trying to say, look, we have a much better way of doing this as we think about the future for the next several decades to hundreds of years. And we have enormous supporters among Gen Zs and millennials and Gen Xs and also baby boomers. Wow. Anywhere from 50 to 90%. I was actually going to touch on that and ask if there was really a difference in terms of who is who's most most enthusiastic about embracing cultivated meat. But it sounds like it really is kind of across all kinds of different demographic groups. It absolutely is. I mean, that's because I think simply people understand the simple thing that we love the product. We don't love the process. And if there is a group that can show how to improve the process, why not get behind it? And the initial group of people are going to be the people that want what we call as the improvers and wanting things to improve. And Mm -hmm. they are thoughtful foodies, they are informed consumers, and they see themselves as catalysts towards building transformative change in the world and are willing to pay a premium for it because they recognize that the change of this nature is not easy to do. There's lots Mm -hmm. of hurdles along the way and there's lots of points of failure and we have to learn from them. And they're tolerant of it because they know what we're trying to do. And that's the initial group of consumers. Gen Zs, lots of Gen, okay. Gen Z and millennials, they're absolutely like, when can I get our hands on it? 
And actually, that, that, that's, that, that's the real question. How close are we to commercial availability? Um, and, and what are still some of those? You, you mentioned there were a couple of challenges to really unlock production at scale. Um, can you just touch on some of those challenges in a little bit more detail for us? Yeah, look, here's the challenges in general, right? So the first challenge was seven years ago when we founded the company, no one believed that this was possible. Right? We overcame the challenge of belief that you can actually grow meat that is real from animal cells. That challenge is behind us. The second challenge was people never said this could be, well, when I say people, these are mostly people that are in the industry and commercial sector. They're like, it's going to be impossible to make it at a cost that people can afford. That is another challenge in front of us. And we're in the process of proving that we can bring this at prices that are reasonable. They'll be initially at a premium to organic foods because it is it is an elevated experience of showing a lot of upsides. And we want to make sure we position this very well for people so they understand the why behind it. So initially at a premium pricing, and we see a very clear path towards it, and we're going to be there. It's the mm-hmm. third thing is scale. How could you manufacture something like this at scale? Because it's never been done before. I cannot answer the question until I prove it. The only way for us to prove it is to build a facility that is at larger and larger scales than the world has ever seen. And the one we have in California is the largest production facility of its kind in the world. But that's a drop on the ocean compared to what we need to get to. So we're now in the process of building something that is 20 to 50 times larger than that. And and looking to open it within the next two years. And hopefully that will offer a lot more options to get into restaurants and maybe limited retail. But ultimately what we want to do is to show the blueprint of an industrial facility that can go to scale and offer that to anybody who wants to be in the manufacturing of food. And that could be large companies that are manufacturing meat right now or countries that could get behind it. Very similar to how you know, countries have adopted electric vehicle technologies and started putting subsidies in place for it and giving grants and incentives. Similar to battery technologies. Like This is that type of transformative change that we're pulling for to get to the scale we need. I would say those are the two main challenges ahead, cost and scale. And that's what we're laser focused on. All right. And it sounds like um, there's actually even an, a further opportunity as as this industry continues to grow um, for new entrants um, in terms of like third party manufacturing partners that could become specialists in this type of technology um, to support, you know, not just, you know, upside, but other multiple partners as well, if, if needed to help offset the, the investment costs needed to build these facilities. Right. Um, and to, to help keep you on your your path of, of growing as a company. Is it would is that a fair a fair thing to think about? It's fair and it's a required thing to think about because for the change that we're talking about to show incredible science and a choice we never had in the world and to bring it into the market at a cost that people would want to be able to say, look, I can get this whenever I want. That's going to take some time. It's going to take some collective investments, collaborations, and an incredible opportunity for everybody who wants to make this a real sustainable business. So a simple example I'd give you is there's right now people supplying animal feed to feed to animals so that they can be you know, produced into meat. Those same feed suppliers can also supply feed to us, to animal cells. We require them to increase their quality standards, but they can also sell the product that is made into meat more efficiently Although the price per pound is higher, we also don't need to waste as much because ultimately we use most of our calories that we give to the animal cells to make meat. And we don't have to have an animal running around for two years having babies or healing broken bones or growing skin, hair, and bones that we don't eat. So it's very efficient to do the, the way of cultivated meat. And it offers high-wage jobs 
because the jobs in the meat industry are not high-wage jobs. No. And there's also lots of occupational risks to that. And if you're starting to say, look, we will offer you the ability to have the food we love and the meat we love and also improve the working conditions and create high-wage jobs that can be closer to cities and where you live as opposed to maybe far away on outskirts, it's a significant opportunity for us and our, our, and, and our countries. And I also love the fact that you will be able to put facilities in areas that are food deserts um, and help solve that socioeconomic problem that we have as well, where, where you know, people don't have accessibility to, you know, the freshest of foods. Um, and they're more reliant on things that are canned or processed to be able to get to them. Yeah, this offers a very big opportunity for equalizing the the challenges we have related to food safety and food security, not only in the United States where there's food deserts, but think about this more globally. The entire area in the Middle East does not have enough water to grow as much food, so they import a lot of it. But what if you can grow the same amount of meat with 90% less water? What if you can do that without transporting, which loses a lot of freshness of the meat, but you can just literally produce it today and sell it today and eat it today in a neighborhood that is close to you? And in terms of geopolitical uncertainty, which we've experienced recently, plus the risks of pandemics that are going to increasingly challenge us as we have more confined animals being grown in, in small spaces, I think every country and every major government should be thinking about food, food safety, food security, supply chain security, and cultivated meat offers the ability for countries to be self-sufficient. So, which is a wonderful this point. This is happening overnight. The key thing is this is transformative change. It'll take decades, but if you don't invest now, twenty years from now, we'll be looking back and saying, "Oh my gosh, what a missed opportunity!" Exactly, and it's it's been encouraging to see more and more governments, even if it's small investments, starting down that road of making investments. So we're we're seeing, you know, well, obviously Singapore is a stand-up example because there's already a yes. product in the market there. But um, you know, whether it's uh, you know the Netherlands, you know, whether it's China uh, talking about you know as part of their food security plan, it's it's encouraging to see more and more countries taking it as a looking at it as a as a viable route to food security. That's true, um, Jennifer, and that makes us feel like, look, we, we, are, we feel like we're the heart and soul of the industry. And when we start thinking about the United States, NSF grants being given to universities, when I think about the state of California for the first time giving a grant to cultivated meat, the first state in the country, when I think about Israel offering lots of grants to the companies there, UK, EU, China, Australia, New Zealand, like it's yeah. literally every major country and continent has started doing grants. And it, this has never happened in the history of food before. It's part of what makes it feel that there's true transformation happening and will continue to happen um, because that, that momentum is starting to roll and that snowball effect is starting to happen. Yeah, um, the only appeal I have on this in general is when we look yeah. at transformative change like this, the industry is going to go through phases like you're barely learning to walk. You're just a newborn. Now you're an infant. You're just taking your first step. And then you have to be a toddler and you'll fall a couple of times and get up. And then you start becoming a young adult. And that phase has to happen. And I'm so optimistic that we are on the right path and there will be challenges. But I see this as being inevitable. It's going to take time and it's going to take a lot of punches that the industry will have to take. But I don't know of any major transformative change that happens in the world in a linear fashion. And I think that's what right. we keep talking about to our team and also to the industry. So what is Upside's planned route to commercialization? Are, is it more food service first? Are you, are you partnered with chefs? 
uh, for certain for restaurants? Is it you know retail? It but retail is a whole a whole different game. Um, so what what are your thoughts on your route to commercialization for for Upside? Look, I think we've gotten the FDA green light, which is, we're the first company in the world to get it. We're working with the U.S. Department of Agriculture to get a label in front of a consumer and grant, get something called a grant of inspection for our production facility in California. Once we have that, we want to come to market through restaurants, through food service. And we've already struck a partnership with Dominique Crenn, who's the only three Michelin star female chef in the country and one of five in the world. She fell in love with our product and said, I'm going to put upside on my menu. And we're going to launch with her in, in the California Bay Area. And that's for two reasons. One is we love Dominique Crenn and the way she tells the story of why this type of transformation is important in the world. But the second thing is it's close to us where we manufacture. There's a lot of learning from consumers and customers, and we want to learn quickly and iterate and make the product better. So we'll come out to the market in the local restaurant. We're also striking partnerships with the number of chefs across the country and outside the U.S. as we think about the next several years. And most of our focus initially will be restaurants because the amount yep. we can manufacture is not enough for retail. So we don't want to do that right now. Once we have the next production facility up, the big, the 20 to 50 times larger one, we'll start getting into retail. And that's likely be in the, you know, 2025, 2026 around that time. I ultimately, look, food service is about half the market and retail is half the market. And yep. either market is good for us. We'll initially start off in food service and go into retail as time uh, moves on. But And that follows the path, honestly, of, of what a lot of other products have done, right? Um, yeah, it's required. And it's, it's a great way for, for consumers to be able to, it's a low-risk way yes. to try something new and exciting and interesting uh, and to learn about it. Absolutely. And we can't wait to put upside in front of consumers. Uh, we also are helping a lot of other companies think through how they can come to market because consumers have to just start experiencing cultivated meat in very different ways. And we'll go initially with the chicken filet and we'll do a fast follow with, you know, entire suite of things related to chicken, could be patties, sausages, nuggets, you know, everything else related to that. But we've been working on beef and we've been working okay. on seafood. I think those are the main areas mm -hmm. that we're going to be focusing on. And meat is enormously, you know, diverse. It's lots of products you can do with meat. And, uh, uh, and I think culturally, when people experience it in a traditional dish, like a chicken tikka masala made with yeah. cultivated meat, it'll just blow people's mind. And I can't wait to see it. It's a, such an exciting proposition. Uh, I've got one more question for you. Um, you know, your company has been extremely successful at raising capital to grow the business. So can you give us any hints on what's next on the horizon to help support your future growth? Thank you. Yeah, we've been, we've been very fortunate to have investors from all walks of life, from angel investors to some of the largest investors in the world joining us. And we'll see the same pattern continue, I think, in the next phase. We do think that ultimately the kind of capital this industry needs to raise is significant. It's in the billions of dollars. And you can't have a lot of companies doing the full manufacturing. I think there'll be a few companies doing that and offering a big ecosystem of supply relationships, manufacturing relationship. And we want to be that company that offers a platform on which nearly everybody who's doing business in the cultivated meat sector can stand. And that's our vision. Mm -hmm. And in order to do so, we want to have institutional investors that come in, investors that know how to take companies public so the public can also be a part of this journey and stay in the journey. So we think about that as ultimately there's two options ahead for us. We will do a little bit more of private capital raising as we get to scale. And then once we feel like there's meaningful scale that a public investor can see and evaluate, well, our path will be to come to the public markets. Wonderful. Well, Uma, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a delight talking to you. Um, 
I wish you all the most, you know, all the success in the world because this is an incredibly interesting and exciting transformative journey. And I can't wait to see what comes next out of Upside Foods. Thank you so much, Jennifer.